Hello and welcome to The Queer XP. I'm your host, Eric. I used to be pronouns. And today we're talking about horror villains because we all love a good villain. Villains are so good. We've we've reclaimed some villains. Um, somehow the Babadook became a pride symbol one year. And so I figured, why not spend a little bit of time with friends talking about our favorite villains? Um, so I'm going to let my guests go around and introduce themselves Let's let's go alphabetically. So that means we'll start with Earl. If you want to tell us your name, your pronouns, um, and maybe what some you know what what makes you get into horror movies? Like why why do you love horror movies? Uh, name Earl. He him. Um, horror movies are fascinating to me. I think I find it's a way. To, I don't want to say it. It sounds psychopathic. It's a way to relate to people because I mean we have a good good horror film to me is like how I relate to the people and the, their decision making and how they react to certain situations and that's mm-hmm. always the thing I find most intriguing is like how would I actually react, react in this situation it's very easy to tell someone that being dumb on screen but like maybe <laughs> that's the same decision I would have so yep so what you're saying is you would run up the stairs instead of out the front door is what I'm hearing if you know which doors <laughs> to barricade <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, I think that puts Matt up next. Uh, hi, I'm Matt. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, and I originally got into horror uh, bonding with my mom as a kid uh, because she grew up on horror. So she introduced me to horror and we bonded over that. Uh, but what has kept me with it is, is I guess it's like that catharsis, that that feeling of that I don't really want to live in real life like i love experiencing emotions i don't want to live being chased by a killer in my life or or that fear that deep fear but i can watch it and i can experience it and i think that's interesting to watch people play on that and just it's such a wide diverse genre that it's i feel like i'm always finding some new kind of horror to check out so yeah just enamored with it from a young age at this point yeah and then we've got melissa Hello, hello. Uh, my name is Melissa Medina. I go by they, them. Uh, uh, I'm a voice actor. I feel like a stray cat. Like, you guys let me come on and, like, crash your podcast. <laughs> I'm just like, hi, I love horror movies. Um, we welcome all people who love horror movies. Yes. You're you're one of us now. Oh, yes. Awesome. I've been adopted. Uh, all I needed to be fed, so we're good. Um, but, no, uh, I, I love horror movies. I grew up with them as well. Um, I was a weird kid, so I just, like, naturally gravitated towards that. Um, I come from a military family, so my dad was like, I don't know, world terrific, makes sense. You like the horror movies? Let's go with that. Um, and so we uh, we bonded over Stephen King. And since then, I just, like... I got bit by the Stephen King bug and then I just explored from there. So, um, yeah, I'm all about it. Plus it's a very human thing, you know, it, it shows us what we're afraid of and, uh, makes us figure stuff out when things do go wrong. So why not? Right. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks for letting me be here. Yeah, of course. And then Nick. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I'm Nick. I go by he, him pronouns. I think I got into horror because of my mom. She always grew up watching like the B sci-fi thrillers, you know, like um, Invasion from Mars or it came, it came from Beneath the Sea, those type of those type of horror movies. Um, and horror has always stayed with me, not for the um, the traditional hack and slash, but more of a psychological horror 
um, I'm thinking of something like Get Out, that horror, to me, if you didn't know FYI, I'm Black, racism is a horror. Um, Earl, I believe you are a brother too. Um, so those kind of things uh, resonate with me. Um, but I, I do enjoy like the traditional, you know, Jason walking slowly, but yet catching up to people who are doing a dead sprint, <laughs> a 60 meter dash, <laughs> and yet he still catches them. I still like those sometimes, but psychological horror is, I think, where I, my sweet spot is. And then I, I forget like what, what even like, I think my first horror movie, I think was actually Scream. If I'm being quite honest, if I think I'm, I feel like, and I, and this was like right on the cusp of the internet being a place where you could get a lot of information. And so I think I remember reading the entirety. Like I knew I going in, going in, I knew who was going to die. I knew who the killers were. I knew everything because I was like so anxious about watching the horror movie that I had to like de-escalate myself to get started. <laughs> but I, I think I got to echo it, but like I, there's something about horror movies that I was reading an article that was like talking about how horror always brings this like band of people together that by all rights shouldn't be a group of people that get along or have community. But because of the things that they're facing in the movie, they are forced to community. And there's something about that vibe that I just find really interesting and appealing. And I mean, I'm, I'm a big slasher and whatnot. Um, my recent stint has been uh, found footage movies. I don't know what it is about those that are getting me right now, but like, that's my like, I've, I've gone through like all the paranormal activities. I watched the the first two of the, like the Spanish record movies, um, Hell, Hell House LLC, which was super good. Um, I don't know what it is. There's something about those where it's always like, I don't know, I find them hilarious because they're always rooted in like generally Christian mythology. And it's like, yes, the cross will somehow save you from this thing, ignoring all other religions that <laughs> exist in the world. <laughs> somehow it's always mm. Christianity's fault, which, you know... It's not exactly. That tracks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In 2023, I'm going to look around like, that, that feels right. Um, but yeah, so for this, I, I tasked everybody with submitting their choice of their horror movie villain. Um, it could be a favorite. It could be your most iconic. It could have been, I kind of left it to people to kind of ha whatever, because my choice is an odd one. And I will explain it when we get there about why I chose, <laughs> whom I chose. Um Probably it was just because I wanted to make everyone watch that movie. So it's fine. Um, but let's, we'll go backwards from where we did intros. Let's, we'll start with Nick. Um, Nick, if you want to tell us what, what movie slash villain did you choose? And, and then give us a little bit about like, why, why does this particular villain? And in your case, I think it's kind of an, like, it's a, it's an abstract ish villain to a degree. To a degree, yeah. To a degree. Um, but go, yeah. go ahead. So I chose Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original 19, I want to say 56, yep. yeah, 1956 uh, film that starred, uh, what is his name, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who, uh, if you know your Golden Girls, he was the rich doctor or the rich, the wealthy man that Blanche was getting with, but he uh, didn't have time for the children. So that's a little um, trivia for you. But if you haven't seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, settles in this town called Santa Mira in California. And these people 
initially think that their loved ones are not their loved ones. And throughout the movie, you see that this, I don't want to call it hysteria, but this thing is gripping the town. And soon the doctor realizes everything that these people have been saying is true. And my favorite part is at the end where it's kind of like a cliffhanger, um, which is like the scariest part out of the whole movie to me. Um, I chose this particular villain um, because there's always this, I want to say, um, fear that you wake up and your loved ones are not who they think they are, or they're not who you think they are. And they could look like you remember, they can re remember everything that you remember, but there's something that is missing that is making them foreign to you. And I find that very fascinating. Um, this movie uh, harkens to McCarthyism back in the 30s and the 40s, where um, if you know your history, that people that were, I'm probably going to get this wrong, so if somebody uh, is more fluent in U.S. politics, uh, help me out, that if they were friendly towards communists and communism, then they were branded as um, other or the enemy. And you distinctly know that when there's a scene where the doctor is going up the highway and he's saying, they're already here, they're already here, you're next, you're next. Um, and I just find that this, it was so frightening that these things that came out of space, which look like giant sea pods, um, they could adapt and take over the host. And it, it I, I just find that very scary that you will go to sleep and you wake up and you won't be you. And, and in that, it was also like when he was out on the road, like screaming at people, like nobody believed him. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, you're drunk, get out of the street. Like it was, it wasn't only the build of him watching this happen to things around him, but it was also the build of him realizing that no one's going to, like he's, he lost sense of anyone who could like jump in to save him or help him. Um, and you're right, by the end, it was, you know, him on the cliffside looking down at the giant plant, like mm -hmm. not the giant plant, but like the giant greenhouse that right. is exporting more of these things to go take over more of California. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the end where like the, they bring that guy in who was broken oh, to bits. Yes, yes, And yes. the guy was like, um, I had to dig him out of these peculiar things. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. And then he's like, they look like giant sea pods. And everybody was like, oh, he's actually telling the truth. And then the final um, kind of dialogue was like, where was the truck heading from? And the guy says, Santa Mira. And you hear this big crescendo of music. And then the guy's like, get on the radio or the phone. And then that's it. And you don't have any kind of resolution. And I find that is the scariest part. Um, I even go to something like um, the blob, the original blob with a a young Steve McQueen at the end of that when they defeated the uh blob there was a big question mark well is it actually defeated or 
can it be cool wherever they landed it those kind of what ifs i i love that's why the um the what if series from from marvel i <laughs> loved it has have any of the rest of you seen this movie recently or like have yeah anything that you th- yeah go for it melissa the thing that got me, because I, I, I agree, Nick, that that is, is terrifying when someone that you think you know is different, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing that got me, too, was the helplessness of it and, like, how accurate that is when you think about, like, by the time you win people over that just want to argue with you, like, by the time you do that, it's it's over. Like, it's done. Mm-hmm. And And so just that whole fatalistic sort of, like, oh, we really can't stop this because I can't even get everyone on board like that rings so true to me i don't know why but it rings so <laughs> true to me um i really love that about uh, invasion of the body snatchers too is is that sense of like this is so much bigger than you could possibly imagine and uh i love that because your your brain fills in the gaps you know right. and uh that's kind of nice too you're not like handed everything in that movie which is awesome exactly there was a, a part uh, another part where they were they actually found the body trying to take over one of his friends and the other guy's wife is asking you know how big do you think that is that thing is how much how tall do you think that is and she's like jack is five five and 140 pounds and the music i think the music played almost another character in the movie is that it built up the suspense and the I can't trust who I think I can trust. And you saw that even more apparent when he saw um, his, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or his wannabe girlfriend or his It was, they had a, they had a situ- or, situationship, had a situ- I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they had a situationship. We had history um, when she actually turned and you saw like, if I can't trust the people that I love, then I might be way out of my league yeah and i i think when i when i said before that like i said that this movie has like a villain like ish and like in like i think for me the the thing was like we never knew anything about what why it was happening like you the the townspeople when they turned kind of like talked about like oh isn't it better that we don't have emotion and we don't care in any capacity but Mm -hmm. like that still doesn't explain like how did the first one get here where did it come from Right. Who are these people? Like it was just this, it was already in motion and it was like a futile attempt to try and like turn it around. But right. and when you were saying this before, and I don't want to like layer in a, a queer metaphor if it wasn't supposed to be there, but it's what I do. But like when you talk about like that idea of you know, look having people that have known you and you know them, and then like that feeling of like something is is off and something doesn't feel right, and there's not that emotion and that that thing like i don't know there was part of me that was watching it like i was like i know what i feel like to some capacity i know what it's like to interact with somebody one day then the next day have that entire thing shift mm-hmm. because of like how i'm presenting myself or how i'm identifying myself um and not necessarily like in a that you know your whole town is against you although i grew up in rural ohio so they might have been <laughs> right well see that i i've never put a queer lens to that movie so it's interesting because yeah i think we've all had people that we thought that we knew and then they turned out to be somebody that we hoped that they wouldn't be 
Yeah. So I that's yeah that's I think that's a a good um perspective on looking at this movie. I'm used that's my my literary degree put being put to use where I have to give things a reading through different <laughs> my different lenses. Um, yeah. uh, Matt I, and Earl, any? Well, I should say one. Go for this, Earl. this this helped me create one of my favorite movie uh, trilogies or we watches this weekend because I did the thing Vision of Body Snatches in the of faculty which are all nice. ways movies about <laughs> taking over people. And part of it for me is like, you you know, you mentioned all the power, but it's also the other way where it's like, you do finally get a group of people you start to trust. And then at some point it's like, can you actually trust them? It becomes to say like, like, oh, they were away from me for like five seconds. Did they have time to turn? Are they acting different? Am I acting different? And it's this thing where it's like, you know, again, very human nature, but it's very easy to divide people by pointing out like, oh, you're being weird now. No, you're being weird now. And it's like that that infighting that cause like a lot of it is driven by these people just being paranoid now. Like, I want people to believe me, not even believe me. Do I trust them after I told them what they needed to see? And yeah. I think this is like a big um overall uh it how do I say this? Human psychology plays an important part of this too as far as i want the people who look like me think like me talk like me in my corner and i want the others away you know and it again it goes back to mccarthyism i mean you could trace mccarthyism to you know the other isms and what's happening now in the United States from a lot of other isms that have morphed and changed into what we know as them now. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it, I mean, it's a sort of like a metaphor for like wanting to be the same while still being individuals because like they do become a hive mind and like not necessarily yeah. like, but like they're all like their emotions. They don't react to anything. It's just kind of like. Yeah, this is great. We don't know. We don't have to care about other people, but we're all kind of like thinking the same thing because we're all like, yeah, we're all in the same boat now. We're all trying to spread our message essentially um, yeah. to the masses. It's supposed to be utopian, right? Like you don't feel the uh, the fear and the pain, but you don't fear feel the happiness either. And it's supposed to be somehow good um but it's it's like it's that fundamental fear of erasing your humanity too which is kind of nuts when we and it was clearly it was it was a bad path when she tried to save the dog and everyone stopped and looked at her like how dare you and i was like no 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 if you can't <laughs> save the dog, dog you cannot save the dog doing all that screaming and hollering I'm like girl didn't we just cover this before we left <laughs> and you up there screaming like lassie just gonna have to go <laughs> It's me or you, Lassie. That's right. <laughs> if you don't walk deadpan and get the hell up on out this town. And then she fell asleep anyways because she was a mess. <laughs> right. Um, awesome. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. And we're going to, we're, now we're going to go from uh, kind of slowly creeping and taking over all of humanity through seed pods to cannibalism, which is honestly <laughs> my favorite. It's a good segue and it's a good it's a good way to go. So Melissa, tell us about your movie and your villain that you've chosen. 
Yes, yeah, so I may be a little bit basic, but I chose Hannibal Lecter uh, for a number of reasons that I feel are good. Um, I, I love, I'm talking specifically um, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, because we've had multiples, right? And they were all good. I will watch Mads Mikkelsen in anything. Um, oh, I would have been, I would have been, I've been done. Like first episode, right? you'd be like, hello. And I'd be like, you can eat my liver. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's whatever you want, sir. You can eat more than them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, but I, specifically, I love, I love an intellectual villain, sure, but can I, can I curse on this? I don't know if oh, I Oh, absolutely. Okay. I encourage it. <laughs> okay, good. Because I love an intellectual villain, but I also love the petty bitch that is Hannibal Lecter. Like, there is just this, this little tiny element of pettiness that I really love about him. Um, but like he, he does, uh, the thing that I like about him is that I think he, he balances intellectualism and savagery very well, calm and manipulation. Uh, you don't get to see a lot of really great, uh, symptoms of narcissism in movies <laughs> in, in everyday life. That's one thing, but like in movies, like you don't, you don't see great examples of it, but I think that he did that really well in like making himself this over the top gourmand you know i ate his liver with with a some fava beans and a nice chianti right <laughs> um which is what i'm drinking by the way to be festive um yes. yeah um but i i just so there's that petty bitch aspect that i like where you know he kills like an orchestra member because he's off key you know um he killed a guy that was in uh the the jail with him because he was a little too excited about clarice and he's like nah nah like turn that down um but that shows like how in control he is right but um the thing that i really like best i think about uh hannibal lecter is he's only as good as clarice starling like they are they have to be in tandem uh because she has to sacrifice things for him for him to move forward and so he is manipulating her at the same time that she is like working towards her own ends um, and there's power in that, and I love that. So that's kind of my uh, my choice. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, in the behind the scenes stuff, uh, Anthony Hopkins talked about like his inspiration, and his inspiration was HAL 9000 from 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, and and like I think that's so smart. It, one, it makes you think there's a lot going on under that calm surface, whether there is or not, you have no idea. And two. Like, it makes you think that he's not capable of, like, all of the carnage that comes later. Because you're like, this is, a, this is a guy who cares about wine, and he's very courteous. He, there's no possible way he could, you know, wear someone's face, right? Um, <laughs> and then and he yet. sure does. Yeah, <laughs> and yet. So, uh, so yeah, but I, the, the, the big thing that I like is the, how in control he is, and the fact that, like, technically, for half of the movie... He's kind of playing a good guy. Um, and it throws you off kilter when he finally does the turn. Like you expect it, but you don't know when it's gonna happen and you don't know how it's gonna happen and the severity of what happens. Like he creates this freaking tableau of a cop, I think, somewhere along the way that you're just like, oh, that's we're here now. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of I kind of love that. And he was only he only had screen time for like 16 minutes of the movie the rest of the movie was everyone else of buffalo bill and all those guys 
And like, we still remember Hannibal Lecter as like one of the top villains and he was only on screen for 16 minutes. Like that's pretty, that's pretty good. Well, and every time he was on screen, it was everything he says and does is like, it's purposeful. It is every word that he says is intentional. Like down to the point that even uh, Clarice played by Jodie Foster is like, he said this phrase and that phrase was like too pedantic for someone like him to just utter it for no reason. Mm-hmm. So like I did a quick thing. It's an anagram for this other thing. And like, that's how she was able to kind of move forward by like figuring out his puzzle because like literally every word that he utters is important. Yes. Um, yeah. And he was, yeah. And when he finally turns and like that whole setup at the hospital, like mm-hmm. that was, cause even though I had seen it before, it's been a long time. So as I was rewatching it, I was like, Oh, I was like, where did he like, where does he pop up? Like, I know he's popping up because he's going to murder everybody. Yeah. Um, And I forgot that he was wearing some dude's face. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> he just like lunges up off the bed, stabbing people. Yeah, he um, goes from zero to 60 very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like, Matt, do you have, because I don't think you get, to, you didn't get to talk about the other movie, but do you have, have you seen this recently? Do you have thoughts about? So, so I haven't seen it recently, Um, but. I agree with something that Melissa said that I think is very important to Hannibal Lecter as a as a character in general is he is as good as he is. I mean, the performance is note for note is just a symphony of a character in again 16 minutes or so. But Clarice, that that interaction, that is probably one of the best interactions in the horror genre between the two of them um the dynamic between the two of them the conversations the way that that all plays out is such a huge part of it and it's the first thing i think of anytime that i do go back to the movie uh, is like i want to see yes there's the buffalo bill stuff where jessica hans in the well and there's there's all of that other stuff but it's it's those two that make the movie and he just it's just even thinking about him, I'm like, ooh, ooh. like just pro quo. Yeah, <laughs> I was about, I was yep. about to say, like, there the dialogue between them is so tightly written, where mm-hmm. like they don't miss a beat between each other because he'll fi- he'll finish answering a question, and almost like there's not punctuation in what he's saying. He just slides right into the next thing. It's like a run-on sentence, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and she and then she returns it. Mm-hmm. Like she'll go into this like dark memory, and then as soon as she's done, she likes hits him with her question and like the way that the two are able to kind of bounce off of each other and build that momentum over the movie is just so good. I think he respected her. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say as an opponent, but as somebody who was on the same level as him, like there's, there's some uh, villains like, um, not come to mind right now. I'm just (laughs) blinking out that they have, I'll give an example, not a horror movie, but uh, Kill Bill, when Orishi uh, is uh, going against the bride and she's, she says to her, um, if I'm, and I'm going to screw up this uh, dialogue, if I made fun of you or something, I'm sorry. And that mm. was like the acknowledgement that I find you a worthy opponent and whatever the, what happens I am honored to either die by your sword or I'm honored to take your life. Not so much in that regard when it comes to Silence of the Lambs, but I think there was a mutual understanding and almost a, um, 
I don't want to say appreciation, but a, what's the word? Some kind of, I can fuck with you on this level, but only this level. Because if you go to 60, like you always do, Miss Hannibal, then, you know, <laughs> I can't do it with you. But, yeah. Yeah, he and, did respect her a lot, which was cool. I think, like, if in the books, they talk about, like, how he appreciated that she always kept him guessing and that she actually opened herself up to sacrifice her memories or to sacrifice her, like, emotional safety for him. And he was like, yeah, I could get behind that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think, like, she came, I mean, I know she kind of comes in as purposefully being underestimated, Mm -hmm. Right. Like she comes in and they're like, oh, we couldn't tell you that we had an agenda with him because if we told him, told you what the agenda was. He would have known that you were up to something. Yep. So we kind of just had to like under under prepare you to be able to like build up that rapport. And I feel like there was even part of him where like he knew that when she was in the space, like you're you're not you don't no one's told you why you're here. And that's going to be fun for me to fuck around. <laughs> And like, see what we can do and how we can play this out. Mm -hmm. She's the sacrificial lamb. Okay, I'll mm -hmm. see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think, and and I think kind of one thing for him, I think that is was interesting. When and looking at as we kind of roll through all of our our killers, we've got is like motivation always like on a, I would say, three or four of the movies we're talking about. Motivation is dicey at best. Like. Why does Hannibal kill and eat people? Because he likes to? Like, it's. Oh. Well, there's a reason, supposedly. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I want to hear it. It's awful. Um, it's <laughs> so. So, supposedly, he comes. I think this comes out in some of the later movies, but like, he comes from a noble Lithuanian family, and then they are attacked in World War II by the Nazis, and the Nazis essentially kill his entire family and make him eat them. And then he's like, actually, that was pretty good. No, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> the, the trauma drove that fascination or whatever. That's supposedly his backstory. But honestly, I kind of like that in Silence of the Lambs, you have no idea. Like, it could mm -hmm. be for no reason. And I find that far more terrifying, you know? Like, I just like yeah. it. <laughs> and I think it's like like movies, like the, the Halloween series. I love Halloween and like, I love a bunch of those movies. And like when Rob Zombie was like, I'm going to do one. And then we don't talk about that movie anymore because <laughs> he spent so much time giving Michael like this weird backstory about childhood trauma. And this is why he murders. And it's like, man, like we just spent like nine movies with this man having no motivation potentially <laughs> other than like, I know who you are and therefore I want to kill you. Yeah. Um, I guess I should caveat with I haven't seen four, five, and six, which I know has a whole separate arc of story. But like, Matt, don't even give me those looks. Don't even <laughs> give those looks. I'm We're working on talk it. So okay? much. I'm working on it. But I do think there's something about the killers that don't have the clear motivation for what they're doing. And Hannibal falls and in, in Silence of the Lamb specifically, Hannibal Lecter falls in that category of just mm -hmm. I just want to see the world burn and I just want to eat people with my Chianti like that's all I want to do and and some of it might have like a power bent to it where it's like I do it because it gives me power and I'm in control and I'm a narcissist so it feeds my own ego and all of this but mm -hmm. yeah like you know oh you were off pitch in the orchestra so now I'm gonna have to murder you <laughs> like it's it, I it's mean the thing. that's a great motivation though I mean as someone who sings in a chorus exactly I just, like, <laughs> right 
There's a Been great there. clip of what there's a great clip of one of our performances where the camera managed to catch me making a face as somebody was singing apparently off key near me. And yeah. like it stops full <laughs> on my face. It's a full eye roll. It's so good. <laughs> So like I can, can I can relate. empathize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus, also Hannibal gets away at the end. You guys, like, mm-hmm. yep. Spoilers, I guess, but you know, <laughs> he gets away, and that's impressive. There's not many villains at the end who actually walk away, <laughs> and with such panache. He has like yeah. his little hat on and his little <laughs> white tropical suit. It's so cute. It's Tommy Bahama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and i and i do think like in some of the subsequent like because I, I did just recently watch the the hannibal tv series and like i mean mads mickelson did a great job of i think emulating that exact same thing and then there was and it was interesting because to have the character opposite him which should have been clarice be a man and really leaning into like a lot of homoeroticism and like romance between the two of them mm-hmm. which is kind of counter to like I didn't ever feel like that was there with Clarice and him in the movie like that was never an element that was like he wasn't sexualizing her he wasn't romancing her um I forget in the later ones if like we go down any of those roads because it's been a while since I've seen Hannibal or the Red Dragon um Mm, but but I, I remember like I remember him having like a fancy dinner in one of them and literally like eating some man's brain out of his skull like at the dinner table Mm -hmm. Um, But I forget who was like at the party for that. But like, it was interesting to watch the dynamic without the like sexual romantic tension, but then getting it in a different way in the TV show, which I just, I always like those fun, like things. I have to find the gay things. Apparently this is just digging in there. How can it be gay? Even if it's not, although the Hannibal TV show is just, it's gay. Like it's just, it's just gay. Um, So let's, Let's go over to someone completely different, not a cannibal, not trying to assimilate an entire community, um, <laughs> but simply just out for murder and does it effectively and quickly. Um, and Matt, would you like to talk about your choice? Um, so I also chose a psychologically nuanced character in film. <laughs> um, How dare you get off my podcast? <laughs> um, so. No surprise to anybody who knows me outside of here. Um, I chose Jason Voorhees, uh, our on mass Crystal Lake camp counselor killer, uh, and then some in space, in, space. in hell. The Jason X is legitimately one of my favorite movies to watch. Same. It's, a, it's a kind of so fun. much fun. That, the the singular line that will always get me is when the guy has like fallen on the giant drill bit in the middle of something and they find him later and they're like sir we found johnson he's screwed sir <laughs> so done. <laughs> done every time and like that proves to me that the movies know what they are yeah. they know mm-hmm. exactly what they are they are not fine art they are not they're they're not trying to put across a message they're just there to entertain and <laughs> um god the amount so, of and, and you specifically that. chose you specifically want to talk about this part two yes because um, as, as anyone who's seen scream knows mm. that jason Voorhees was not the original killer mrs Voorhees was jason didn't show up until the sequel though she had a reason though yeah i mean she also had a reason yeah i would have killed them kids too Mama. right or maybe yeah yeah or maybe well, cut I... them out i don't know maybe <laughs> them a little, little, little extra 
it's a, it's a little bit it's a little bit i mean she could do some <laughs> yeah. stuff though for for an older lady good for her yeah. she, she was she's very she was strong uh, so, so matt so matt why why i mean i know, so, that, I know that you have a deep abiding love for friday the 13th yes why why this movie why jason so jason again is a simple I, 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 maybe that's not the right word to you excuse me is a is a one track creature of of you know you know why he's there there's no question about motivation um but i chose part two specifically a because it's his introduction but b because this was in a time when films sort of tried to dig just deep enough to get like behind the the mask so to speak uh about these killers with halloween with nightmare on elm street hadn't come out quite yet but with um with friday the 13th and they sort of start to explore through the final girl uh one of my favorites Ginny, played by amy Steele, who was also one of my favorite horror 80s actresses uh one part that really sticks out to me is a part that uh she she sort of goes into this this she plays a child psychologist is her role and that's part of why she's at the camp and she sort of goes into this whole thing of like but what if jason really is out there what if he saw what happened to his mother what if he what would that have done to him what would that have what kind of person would he be and i feel like this is something that anyone who saw the first film was not thinking about until this moment like he, he sort of brought up but I don't think anyone was sitting there thinking like, how would this Jason be if he was still alive? Because according to the first movie, he had drowned and was gone. And, you know, they they don't give you the full reveal. You don't really see who Jason is until much later in the movie. And once you do get that, you know, mixed feelings on how that's handled. But it was but, it was a product of of the was that early 80s. That would have been 81. Mm -hmm. 81 yeah so it's, so we, were, it's... we were doing great in terms of no. of how we handled uh certain things in media <laughs> no. but they did you know they they didn't try to explain too much but they did sort of ruminate like what if this is what if that this campfire tale is real and they took it the thing that strikes me about it is that it took it from such a real perspective instead of being like oh there's this unstoppable like you find out he's he gets slammed with a chair he gets the ghost face treatment in that second one he gets slammed with a chair he gets knocked around a bit and this is before he becomes the unstoppable undead killing machine that we get in part six way down the line um where it was a little more grounded and i feel like that was a very sincere time in in horror and that sort of encompasses like what horror was doing at that time for me but it also made me interested in jason because you get a little bit of sympathy in there like you're not like yeah go kill those kids I mean, you kind of can be, but a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> You're like, like, fuck I, them I kids. Fuck yeah. them kids. But also, like, you feel a little bit because the only love that this, that he had was from his mother. It's gone over in this monologue. And more than likely, he watched this, spoiler alert for a 25, 30 year old movie, he watched his mother get beheaded on a beach by some girl he doesn't know who just happened to be at this camp and now he prowls these woods stopping anyone he can so like I'd be upset yeah. yeah yeah like there, there's something to be said for there's a, there's a motivation there but he's almost a little sympathetic behind the the beheadings and, and all the other <laughs> blood and gore also i do need to just point out um to age all of us as we're talking about this it's a 
it's a 40 year old movie matt uh, listen uh... <laughs> 40 oh 43 God. years old 43 43 years old um yep so yeah no it was yeah it it just again product of its time but i think that it did the right balance of sincerity and explanation while also giving us you know some poor guy in a wheelchair getting a machete to the face <laughs> yeah it was yeah. Oh, go ahead Earl. oh no, i was gonna say the thing i would add to like, matt's point was like they also use his mother to feed him in the end because mm-hmm. she she like she tricks him into thinking it's his mom come back to life for that moment and then she attacks him that's so you're gonna add to his scarring yeah yeah that was a little fucked up she's like let me just put on my mom put on his mom's sweater <laughs> his dead well, mom's sweater well but like that's a smart sort of like semi-psychological way to handle it too yeah which like i wouldn't she, have expected but then she attacks <laughs> well, i mean you gotta do something <laughs> don't but just yeah, walk away i think that's so again stress issues <laughs> and like and i think in the, in the in the friday the 13th franchise like i've seen the first one a number of times i've seen jason x more than is probably reasonable for a human being to have viewed that film but then like everything in, in between i've never seen so this was literally my first watch of friday the 13th part two um and i i, I think before we started the call i was saying like first i was surprised that jason wasn't wearing his hockey mask Mm-hmm. I was like, I expected, I expected a moment in the movie where he like found a hockey mask and put it on, because that mask is so iconic to his character. Oh, yeah, you know, and granted, like you know, he's ten movies plus at this point, but like, I expected to see it. I didn't expect to see like this disfigured face and all of this kind of, kind of adding to his like grotesqueness as they're trying to like again. It wasn't a you know disfigurement as a or like as a villain trope is not great in 2023 at this point. And like, but it, the way that they did it, it was, I was surprised to have that experience of like watching him and actually seeing the face. Cause I thought that was kind of like Michael Myers, where it was just something you didn't see over the course of a franchise. And it was always hidden by a mask. Um, but yeah, he just hated them kids and just went on a murder spree. And like, that was it. It was real simple. <laughs> and yeah. like, and I think, you know, you always talk about like the the layers of like, oh, it's like punishing the promiscuous and yada, yada, because, you know, versions make it out, this, that and the other. But I mean, at this point, I think of that movie, like almost nobody made it out, regardless of your, I guess, how much you had or hadn't engaged in <laughs> inappropriate things. Well, it's and it's funny, too, because the only two people who, you know, made it out, one of them made it out because they stayed at a bar and got drunk out of t- uh, off camp. <laughs> and the other one is the final girl who was also at that bar and drinking mm-hmm. definitely had sex at some point in the movie. Yep. And like, it, she is one of the more like wise ass characters in the movie. She's not your typical final girl. And, you know, you definitely saw the, there was a lot of killing the the sexual and the, and the drug laden, but the two people who made it out were not innocent. Like they were right. not. <laughs> No, alcohol right. saves the day. Yeah, that's yes, <laughs> getting drunk at a bar. It does save it for one person, day. yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's always been such a fun fact about that movie. He's just, like, I'm, he's just not coming back. So, yep. Yeah, the moral is go get drunk instead of going camping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's why whenever someone's like, do you want to go camping? I'm like, no, I want to stay indoors. I want to stay indoors at a bar. 
Um, <laughs> which, you know, depending on the horror movie you're in, that could also be dangerous and get you killed too. But oh, yeah. Fair. absolutely. Right. You know, if someone says Camp Crystal Lake where someone was murdered, maybe I don't go work there. Like maybe I just, <laughs> you know, go anywhere else. Yeah. They do rename it eventually so that you get her on that issue. But <laughs> They rename uh, it and then the next movie it's back to Crystal Lake with no explanation. It's yeah. a roller coaster that will we'll get you on at some point. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I mean, about the Audrey Jason, like a huge friend of Friday the 13th. I mean, Matt and I have talked about this before. I personally am a fan of zombie Jason more because that's kind of the Jason you know, the big hulking monster that bursts through doors and stuff like that. But it is fat. Like, one of the reasons I find him, of all the the iconic horror sashes, Freddy, Michael, him, Chucky, so fascinating is that he does, like you said, you see in one in 10. He evolves over the course of the series because like this one, he has the potato sack. He's very human. He's very human through four. He gets the hockey mask in the next one. They kill him off for good. They have to bring him back some way and that becomes a zombie. And then that gives him an interesting motivation. He's for that movie, just hunting the person who killed him and just killing anybody who's in his way. It Wait, gets he, off doesn't, the road. he doesn't get the mask until five? No, no three. No, three. Three. Oh, okay. I was like, no, oh god, no, did he, he really go that many movies without the mask? No, he he dies in four. Like so okay. that's when human Jason dies. Five is nothing. It doesn't involve Jason. And then he comes back at six. It goes off the rails after six with his motivations and everything. I don't think they know what to do with him. I just like the Hulkin creature, but like, yeah, the actual one of like his character are kind of ends with six. Okay. Uh, and then that weird thing with Freddy versus Jason where he's like, he's afraid of water. Make the guy this is on a lake he's in the water constantly sure we'll we go with talk that. About that scene <laughs> well because they had to do they had to have the, the lake and the fire for the freddy versus jason square off mm-hmm. freddy is in hell i mean he's not afraid of fire either <laughs> listen don't knock that movie it gave us one of the most iconic lines from kelly Rowland. <laughs> <Not> Ke- no <laughs> Which apparently was an ad-libbed line, which is my favorite part. Oh, that's great. That she just out of nowhere was like, I'm going to F-slur this bitch. And you're like, what? <laughs> Where did you get? Well, so- ma'am, no one told you to use that word. <laughs> uh-uh. so, so, well, so that we don't leave that as the, as the, uh, as the, the weird to reference to this, uh, to this movie. <laughs> um, anytime that you get the chance, anyone look up the behind the scenes of Friday the 13th, part seven, that the cast themselves renamed as Friday the 13th because nice. so many people behind the scenes were hooking up together and and of the homosexual variety uh <laughs> as I like to call us uh, <laughs> and but there's some positivity in there but yes Kelly Rowland please Kelly Rowland dropping the f slur for no reason other than she felt like it <laughs> on a random shoot and then and they kept it in. And... Yeah, and then someone was like, "Yeah, we can keep that in this in Bold. the the film. It's fine." Um, I, I have a question. Do yes. any of you have a favorite Friday the Thirteenth kill, like one that stands out to you? I know Matt does. I know well, I do. So here's the thing. I know the popular one. What's the popular one? So the popular one is the sleeping bag. Yeah, that's my favorite. Which is so good. The the where he he, it's in part. Seven? seven i think I it's think in seven. seven yeah yeah it takes a while but um he comes to a tent there's a there's a girl waiting for her boyfriend and she's like oh come in you big strong man and don't like <laughs> thinking that it's him and then jason tears open the tent she hides in her sleeping bag because that's where you go 
Um, and then he so literally picks up the sleeping bag, drags her out. You've seen it. You've seen it parodied in Jason X. I was about to say, and, I love that moment in Jason yep. X. And slams her against a tree uh, only like twice in the in the theatrical cut. But it's like a solid six or seven times in the director's yeah. cut. And it's, it's like just a rug. A, just... Yeah, it's just a sack of meat by the end of it. And then in Jason X, he, he beats one of them with the other one. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is which is a lot jason x might have jason x is not my favorite but jason x might have my favorite kill though with the um the cryogenic yes that's my favorite and the smash (laughs) and i'm like that i mean as far as that was practical as far as i saw in the behind the scenes like practical effects i love practical effects in movies like but oh man that was just it was brutal uh, Melissa, Melissa, what's what's yours? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mine was dev- mine was absolutely the sleeping bag kill, like for sure. <laughs> I was just teeing that up because I'm like, can I please talk about this sleeping bag kill? <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely my favorite. And second is that uh, that frozen death as well. I don't know why those are my go-tos, but I, I feel like I want to like something from Jason Takes Manhattan, but I can't go there, I guess. Well, Jason, so I'll choose those. <laughs> I was going to say, Jason Takes Manhattan has my second favorite outside of the cryo. Is the one when he's put the box and he just like uppercuts his head off. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Punch his face <laughs> One off. punch and it's like, yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a very nuanced film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Nick, do you, do you have a favorite Jason death moment? Are you a Friday the 13th fan? I have not seen Friday the 13th in so long. I, I don't remember any of the deaths. Just yeah, I mean, that they were brutal. Yeah, a lot of them are just That's like machetes true. to the face or machetes yeah. to various parts of their bodies. And I'm just like, there were no Black folks in any of these movies for a while until... Mm-hmm. So remember. I was like, you know, we don't do... I know five, five, because five has survivors who are back. Five has a black survivor. Okay. Six is the first victim, I believe. Yes. The first black victim in the in the series. Also one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) When he's singing on the toilet or the porta potty. Yeah, campus is singing at a holiday inn. So I'm like, (laughs) I'm doing (laughs) You want me to what? Nah, I'm good. Nah. (laughs) Um, all right. So I think that's a, that's a good segue point to to get pop over to Earl's, um, which if I don't know, I feel like if anybody has like the least motivated, like the least motivation for why they're doing what they're doing, I think Earl's might take the cake, arguably. I'll argue it. Um, <laughs> but Earl, talk to us about your your movie. So I picked the strangers from the strangers who, as far as I know, aren't named in the first movie. So I won't, I mean, I think they are based off of their math, which I'll get to in a second, but I picked it partially because like ultimately their motivation is just like, you answered the door. (laughs) We were bored. We were looking to do this and you were around. Like there's no, like, you know, there's no grand plan. There's no grand scheme. There's no, like these people are awful people. They did something to us. It wasn't like we were casing the joint. It was just like, we're going to have some fun. Because, and I, I, you know, I rewatched it for this podcast. I'm like, it is so much like a kid playing with their food because they've have hours of opportunities to kill them. <laughs> they sneak into their house. They steal their phone. <laughs> they get, they, they break their car. They do all these things to them. And it's like, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. We're just going to like, so <laughs> drive you nuts. 
And I, I was just looking this up um, on IMDb. Like the killers themselves have like five lines of dialogue. The first time they come to visit, it's like, is Tamara home? No. Yeah. I'll be seeing you later. <laughs> she comes back later on asking for Tamara. She's like, you've already asked. And yeah, at this point, uh, you have to tell you, it's already freaking out. And then at the very end, like, oh, why did you do this to us? You were home. And then they speak to the Mormons um, as the credits roll. So they get one of the pants, because they're partially or whatever it is. Oh, and I think it's also like, we'll do better next time, which won't be for like 10 years, but whatever. But yeah, just watching it and just seeing like them, like I said, like there are scenes where like you watch it and you know like they're just playing with them. Like there's one scene where she's like sneaking in the house and he like walks right by and it's like he doesn't turn his head. I'm like, he knows she's there. He's just trying to give her a sense of like, oh, she's getting away or she, or like the part where she hides in the pantry and he just like he walks off frame and it's like a good like five seconds and nothing. And she, you know, come back and it's like, no, he comes back and he opens it. He knows where she is the entire time. Um, I feel so bad for her because she goes through a lot of it actually. Because <laughs> there's also a part where she finds the radio. She tries to get to the police and one of them smashes it up. They don't chase her or anything. She's crawling through the dirt. They don't chase her, but she's like stealth. I'm like, they clearly know where you are. They just started using the radio. They're not coming after you. This is on you. Um. But yeah, 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 all of that, they have no motivation. And then at the end, because like, you know, they were in a mask this entire time. It's like, oh, they hide their identity or something. They just take it off. Like, there's no, like, you know, there's no fight. There's no fuss. It's just like, we're going to unmask. We don't care if you know what we look like. You're not going to survive this morning. <laughs> well, I guess one of them might have survived the morning, depending on how you read the ending. But yeah, like, talked about people who, like, we talked about human nature. This is just, I wanted to recommend funny games, but I cannot watch that movie again. <laughs> That movie scars me too much, but it's the same thing where it's like just this home invasion where we are just going to find a couple. And the, the thing that I always forget about it, because they go through so much, it's like this movie starts with them just in a bad place because he was going to propose to her at a wedding. She rejected it and they have like this romantic getaway, there's roses and everything. So it's like this awkward dynamic. And the funny, it doesn't even come into play until why they're being terrorized. It's just like, yeah, it's a it's just a shit sandwich of a day for you folks, and this is just like the icing on top of it, and just like I always forget like that like they are actually going through something, and it actually has one of my not least favorite, but one of the most brutal kills in horror, where like uh, again Ovington comes in to like because the you know the friend called him to come pick us up. Um, it's an awkward night, and he's like, I didn't. He's on the phone. He's like, I didn't want you to like be here all night by yourself with her in this awkward situation. And like one of the kids is like right behind him with an axe. You think something's gonna happen with that? And he just kind of like turns the corner and gets shotgun to the face. And I'm like, holy shit, that just happened. And I know that's coming. And it still gets me every time because I'm like, just shout out some more so they can hear you. <laughs> like, don't just wander around the house in quietness. Um, but yeah, uh, it's again, it's like it's just that line, like because you were home. Uh, that always drives it to me. It's like, there's no real motivation here. There's no, they didn't take anything. They didn't ask for anything. <laughs> they actually just go about their day like it's normal afterwards. <laughs> um, those poor Mormon kids though are going to be scarred for life. But yeah. Um, yeah. That's... It was, it's, well, and the movie does like this really, like everything is intense from the jump, right? Because like, they come back and like the house has got all the rose petals everywhere and it's super awkward and everyone's unhappy 
and like she's angry at him and like there's just all this stuff and he's like she's like i'm you know she's out smoking somewhere trying to get over herself and she sends him off for cigarettes and like it's just that like ongoing like it's the the i mean kind of similar to nick's where it's like you know something is wrong but no one's believing you yeah because like he comes back and she's like my phone was missing oh he's yeah like, well, your phone's like... right there on the table she's like i didn't leave it on the table i left it on the chair and then it disappeared and now it's on the table and it's sad because he doesn't start believing her until stuff starts happening to him. <laughs> like yeah. his phone, like Keith's phone's missing and it comes back without the battery. And it's like, yeah. oh yeah, now. And it's like, okay, now we're going to hide in the closet, which is a strategy, I guess. And again, he disappears. Like, I, I mean, I take him and he disappears like the second act of the movie or whatever. He He's off screen. And oh, so like, maybe uh, part of it again, I think I saw your next verse. Like, oh, maybe he has something to do with it. Again, I've, but I make, it's just so fascinating to see like how, like, even without the killers, they're very miserable people tonight. And right. even with that, like, because a lot of it is just like them just got him being at each other's throats. Because like she does, she studs and doesn't send him off for the cigarette. She's like, "Oh, we're out of smoke." He's like, "Oh, I'll go get them." She's like, "You don't have to," but he feels obligated to. And it's just like such an awkward relationship. Uh, and it's like it's weird because like they could tell like they still love each other. They're just not on the same page in that regard. Yeah. And, you feel bad for them at times but then it's like oh yeah there's just a lot of bigger issue than like you're into a uh, relational drama right now and then he yeah. shoots his best friend in the face with a shotgun <laughs> like it just gets worse exactly uh, it escalates so much i was actually gonna say that too like that's one of the things i really loved about that is a lot of horror movies they start and everything's amazing and we're laughing and we're just so close and amazing and wonderful and this movie was like no nah, we're gonna make you feel bad for them in different ways <laughs> um and i really like that it just sort of threw all of that premise of like we're gonna create the happy family and then destroy them. They're like, no, we're gonna make you feel bad and awkward for them, and that's your affinity for them. And then we're gonna make it worse. And I, I think that's really ballsy. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I so in the uh, span of movies that I've watched in not ideal scenarios, um, one was Blair Witch. I watched at a drive-in movie theater in the cornfields, and then had to drive the backwoods <laughs> home afterwards. Oh, no. Um. I watched The Strangers uh, when I was doing an internship in rural Illinois at a college. And I went to the movie theater by myself because I didn't know anybody. I was the only intern. Nobody was really around. So I went to go see the movie. And then I went back to an empty old residence hall that only <laughs> I was in. And the laundry room was in the basement, like the no. sub-basement maintenance oh, area. Exactly. <laughs> Literally every time I would like go to like do my laundry, I would text a friend and be like, if I don't text you in 20 minutes, I'm dead. And they're like, Eric, stop it. I was like, no, no, no. I just saw this movie. I'm telling you. Um, and one of the people, one of the other people I was working with that summer had had also gone to see it. So every time I was like, she would call me, I would answer the phone from my office and be like, it is Tamara there? She's like, shut up. <laughs> You're the worst. So like, fixing that her on somebody else, huh? Yeah. Well, and I, and I do think that the movie, like, you know everything is wrong, right? Like, you know from, literally from the jump, like, it's, you know, I mean, A, you know you're in a horror movie, B, you know everything's miserable, and, like, when she knocks at the door at 4 a.m., you're like, this doesn't end well. Like, this doesn't yeah. go well. But it's the inevitableness of how you can't stop it. Yeah. Um, And I will, I'll plug our 
so the episode that released uh, this past Monday for an actual play we did was a game called Quietus, which is modeled around The Strangers is one of its like reference points. And so it's a GM with two players and it's this slow build, everything's terrible model where eventually like the mechanics are either both people die, <laughs> one person dies or they both get out. Like it's, and and that slow build, I think in a horror movie like that is almost worse than the killers chasing them around the entire movie. Cause like you're waiting for them to jump out at different points. You're waiting for it to happen. And when it's not happening, that feels worse than when it is happening. Again, like it's like there are times where like like one of the iconic like when he's like the the masked dude is in the background while she's walking around and you're just yeah. like, anticipating something happening and it cuts back and he's gone. And it's not like it comes back in five minutes later for a jump scare. It's just like showing like they're in the house they can get in and out as they please and these people are just boned it's just how long is it going to take for them to find out they are boned as well other other folks have thoughts about the strangers there was no kind of uh security system in this house apparently not apparently like, not. they just walking all up and through <laughs> like it's somebody's hotel lobby i'm like girl what? I, I will say i think that's sometimes true of like a few areas where it's like they don't think they're ever in danger that part yeah it's like i mean I'm, i had friends growing up i mean I, when i went to college we're like yeah you know we have our front doors open all the time like yeah, wide open but it's wild not... to me <laughs> yeah oh. i grew up in public housing my mom grew up in one of the biggest and most baddest and most dangerous projects in chicago so us like leaving our doors open un un unlocked that was like what when folks come down here to Kentucky, it's like, oh yeah, we just leave out doing that like I'm like, grease super. I used. I mean, to I, in... I remember when I was growing up, like I would leave my car running outside the convenience store while I run in and like grab things. I know. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone in town knew it was your car. Like if you if right. it was there, like people could like I remember driving past the like the convenience store and being like, oh, I see my friends there. Let me like pull in and say hi. Like. You, you knew everybody, like, you recognized things. So, like, I mean, I live in a city now, so, like, I definitely, like, I lock every door <laughs> when I come in and, like, all of that. But, like, I I understand the the thought process of, like, right, right. there's nothing to be scared of, even though the reality is there's always something to be scared of. Uh, my mom currently lives out in the middle of nowhere, and, like, I think they left their front door unlocked for, at different points. Like they actually had like a robbery and like someone stole like a bunch of stuff from my, like my mom's jewelry and whatnot as like that in their estimation, like that stuff doesn't happen here. And I feel like the strangers is like that mentality where like, quote, that stuff doesn't happen here. So like, I mean, or it was just like, they were really good at picking locks and just walked in the back door. Cause I think, I mean, That's... it wasn't their house. It was like his father's home or like, cause it wasn't. Yeah. 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 And I also, because at some point they also say, you know, they've been there for a while. They see no cars and no people walking the street. So it's just like one of those areas where it's like dead. Yeah. What were you going to say, Nick? There's, there was a, something that you touched upon that we always leave our doors open because that stuff doesn't happen here. Mm -hmm. And that to me harkens to a, I don't want to say an obliviousness, but a a mindset that Many people of the majority, aka white people, have when it comes mm -hmm. to issues that 
uh, surround surrounding violence in predominantly black and brown neighborhoods. Yeah. So, oh, that that always happens over here. Well, let's roll that beautiful Bing footage of the countless serial killers that are white and mm -hmm. cis and hetero and male that's always killing 20, 30, 40 folks. And then, you know, it, it, it's, it's I, I find that interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's definitely one of these like looking back, you're like, that was, yeah. And there was definitely a lot of things <laughs> growing up that you're like, I have weird feelings about how my family talked about different places that we would drive through or different neighborhoods and like, mm -hmm. oh, this is like a, when we were driving, because this is back before it, like automatic locks on your cars. Like I remember driving through neighborhoods and suddenly my dad would just like lock all the doors as we're like driving. I was like, why'd you do that? And he's like, I just feel like it'd be safer. And you're like, looking back, you're like, oh, the racism is showing. It was right there in plain sight. I just didn't know because I was 11. And how was I supposed to know why you were locking the doors versus right. why we don't at home. Um, but I, I mean, the strangers I think hits on a lot of that in the like, again, just that blase-ness about like, we're probably like, it's fine. Everything's fine. We're like, and I mean, at that point they were both like super fucking emotional about everything. Cause she had just rejected his proposal at a wedding. So he was in a bad place. She wasn't locking doors. She just wanted to smoke cigarettes. And then they get tormented for 90 minutes before they die. I think the key underpinning there, too, is like, I think it's a little bit scarier if you grew up in safety, you know, um, but I know like for some of us, like for myself or whatever, I'd be like, no, nah, that wouldn't fly in my house. You know what I mean? Like, no, my mom would be like at the door, like ready, you know, so like it depends, too, on like how you grew up. But like, no matter what, I think the unifying factor is like other people suck. And uh, <laughs> and so yeah. this is that like very clear lesson of like human cruelty is enough for it to be horrifying you know yeah. um and right. it so is and i mean i'll go on matt oh uh, sorry i was just gonna say as, as someone who i feel like i bridged not bridged the gap but like i feel like i i grew up in, in rural new hampshire parents like to leave the doors unlocked and i was the one who locked them <laughs> and I was the one who was like, absolutely not. No, I don't. Maybe it was being a scared closeted little gay boy in, in high school. And I was afraid someone was going to come in and like do terrible things. Maybe it was just the horror movie lover in me. Who knows? But watching this movie, it was one of those like, yeah, no, this is stuff that they should have been doing. Like, this is stuff that should have been handled yeah. this way. I don't I I don't care where I am, especially if I don't know anybody around. Absolutely not. No. And I mean, Connor's uh, famous made. How many of you hit? We're here would actually answer the door at 4 a.m. Oh, Hell no, no, absolutely no, no. not. I have I... a story for you. This was like maybe, um, where were we? Going? I think we we're going to Vegas like in a couple of days. So um, it's maybe the weekend and it's two o'clock in the morning. I think I'm either drunk, high, or both. And the doorbell <laughs> rings. And I, the hairs on my neck, stand up and I'm like who and the fuck is at my door at two o'clock in the morning I say I say to my partner I'm like somebody's here go get the bat go get the bat um so we turn off all the lights and it goes again I'm like oh my god somebody's here somebody's trying to get in so we're looking out the window and we don't see anybody 
I'm scared. I'm like, call the call the police. The only time I'll call the police. And we don't, we open the door and nobody's there. I was like, oh my God, somebody's trying to, you know, they're fucking with us. They are really fucking with us. So the next day, the doorbell rings again and nobody's there. Child, it turns out the doorbell was uh, malfunctioning. <laughs> <laughs> I almost have a heart attack <laughs> and no it's just the doorbell going off and I'm like oh my god somebody's trying to break in I'm going to have to fight for my life I'm like I hope these cats can fight too because we're going down swinging like I'll but chuck was... the cat at their face <laughs> first and <hope> the <laughs> no I had but... so it was was like I think January I got I had COVID um and so i was like quarantining here in my room and it was like the middle of the night i was and i like i was down and pretty out for a couple days and it was one of the nights that i was like not feeling super great whatever and i woke up because i heard our doorbell ringing so for, and for context i'm in like a kind of like a two like a three floor townhouse ish situation I, i'm above like a convenience store and like at four in the morning i was like who the fuck is ringing my doorbell and like it kept ringing and I like was laying in bed. And I was like, okay, let's like rationalize this for a second. It's 4 a.m. Nothing good happens after midnight. I have COVID. I shouldn't be answering any doors and interacting with humanity because I have a disease that I don't want to be passing on to other people. And again, it's 4 a.m. <laughs> and then like, I kind of lay there in bed and it sounded like it was like, it sounded like it was raining outside. I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, whatever it is, I'm not messing with it. And I rolled over and I went back to sleep. Woke up the next morning to find out that the what I thought was rain outside was our street flooding and that it was the cops at 4 a.m. bringing the doorbell to check our basement to see if it had also flooded. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's like ringing a doorbell at 4 a.m. doesn't like that doesn't tell me anything. Like, and we don't have like an intercom system where you can like hear from what people are saying. And I was like, I'm not going downstairs at 4 a.m. Like, I know better. Smart. Sydney Prescott taught me better <laughs> to answer a door at 4 a.m. Right? And if I saw the cops at 4 a.m., I still wouldn't go down. Like, right. no. no, still not a reason to open the door. No. Um. All right. So I'm looking at this. So I we're gonna we're gonna segue to my choice, which is um. I mean, if ever there was a convoluted motivation for murdering a bunch <laughs> of people, I have chosen her. <laughs> um, I went so and people who are listening are probably gonna be surprised that I didn't pick Scream and I did that for two reasons one I wanted a lady amongst the bunch I know the strangers had a lady in the bunch but I feel like they were more non-people like they were just entities like tormenting and them being and any gender was irrelevant it was more about the dread um and with the female scream killers, I love all of them. Mrs. Loomis is amazing. Um, and the movies are great. I just don't like, for them, like they were, it was like, Mrs. Loomis like, you killed my son, I'm mad. Like, great, I love you, Debbie. Like, Debbie Salt, you're amazing. Good, <laughs> go go live your truth. Um, but I, I went with uh, Rebecca Gayhart in Urban Legends as Brenda, the serial killer who is mad. And I'm going to break this motivation down because it just makes me laugh every yes, fucking time. <laughs> so Brenda goes on a murder spree because her fiance was killed in the urban legend flashing of headlights gang initiation thing where he ends up crashing his car off the side of the road. 
the first kill of the movie is the woman who is driving the car. The one responsible. And then Rebecca Gayhart spends the rest of the movie tormenting all of these people and specifically this one woman because she owned the car. (laughs) She was sitting in the passenger seat and she was the owner of the vehicle. And that is why all of these other people had to die. (laughs) It is camp. It is down boots. (laughs) And just like, I mean, especially in the, the, the time frame, I think having a female killer, especially of a serial killer slasher movie, because that came out around the same time as like some of the other big ones, like the faculty and scream and, and all of those. And like, I don't know, there's just something about Rebecca Gayhart and just embodying the role and like, just watching once you figure out it's her and then you rewatch it, like the level at which she is like tormenting this poor girl whose only crime was sitting in a car and not telling her friend to stop. <laughs> like she killed, like she kills the roommate who the girl didn't even like, like that's my favorite part of that kill. The girl <laughs> didn't like her roommate at all. And Rebecca Gayhart still murdered her. Joshua Jackson's character nearly assaults her in the woods and she kills him. Like she's almost doing her favors <laughs> with her kills. <laughs> And like by the end, like I mean, and she's also one that she gets away, um, because the movie ends with her at another college, telling you know having someone tell the story, and then she's like, oh, that's not how it went down. <laughs> Which in my brain always made me wonder if it was an uh if it was an unreliable narrator for the actual movie, like if that was part of the gist of that was like he was telling I- the story. That's kind of how I read it because the whole purpose of like urban legend is like this campus killer. And it's like, oh, it didn't actually happen. It's one in every town. But like you right. have it's like, yeah, oh no, she's the actual one. But here's she's the first. actual one. Yeah. Um, and I like, yeah, I just like everything about her character is over the top. It's ridiculous. Um, she's like in love with Jared Leto, who like young Jared Leto, like before I think we're talking before the call, is like before he like turned into Morbius for real, like <sighs> You know, he was, was good. It was a good choice. But like, she's mad that like her friend's making out with him. I, and the other thing is like, she enrolled in college, enrolled in <laughs> courses <laughs> and became friends with. <laughs> like she was in this for the long fucking game. And there's like something respectable about that. Right? She put herself in debt just to get <laughs> this. Right. Right. Like, she, she really filled out FAFSA. <laughs> she was like let me get this financial aid so i can murder a bitch. <laughs> i mean now in her credit she did die so she doesn't pay any of it back yeah she's fine she's on she's on the run she's got a new identity she has no debt now <laughs> but like just like and like just the level of absurdity that she operates with where it's like she's chasing tara reed through their like gorgeous facilities that they've got in this like old campus i still don't understand how that building made sense with like giant glass staircases that Tara <laughs> Reed falls down right? and, and there there's also some elements of like i don't understand fully the timing of how she got everywhere like i was when i remember watching it the first time like i was waiting for the second killer and when like jared leto was like made it seem like he was and i was like but like how did she get from the woods with Joshua Jackson back to the group 
how did she get from the radio studio back to the party to kill the other dude? Um, I mean, and she did commit the unforgivable, which she did kill a dog. And that's unforgivable. How dare she? I mean, she put the thing in a microwave and that was a whole. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, girl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then she's on the radio with him while he's. Yeah, she's on the radio. She's. Or she's on the phone with him. It's she oh, does yeah. like the scream like call because she calls from Joshua Jackson's phone as like, did you hear about the one? Blah blah blah. And he's like, I know this one. She's like, no, the one about the old lady who puts her dog in the microwave. And I'm like, no. I could have gone this whole movie without that one yeah. snippet happening. Um, but no, I think that there's my my overriding appreciation in horror is always the like slasher, dark comedy, satire stuff like i i need to watch um total killer because apparently that's supposed to be really oh, solid and like a very 80s entrenched present day movie but like it's for me and i and again i think i was also looking at every everything everyone else was picking and everybody had like these somewhat amorphous motivations and like all these other i'm like nah rebecca gayhart straight up went to, <laughs> straight up went to college to murder somebody <laughs> like talk about follow hold on through. i'm not done <laughs> she commits to the bit and like i respect that and she lived and the important thing in that movie the most important thing is that loretta divine the security guard also lives mm-hmm. and goes on to be in the sequel which i forget if she makes it through or not i think she does I mean, my head canon is that she's a she's a final girl from that series. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, but yeah, I don't, has any anyone else watched Urban Legends and and has thoughts about um, my love Brenda? I love this movie and just how <laughs> trashy it gets and how like yes. her villain turn at the end of this is absolutely iconic. Her with like. With Natalie, poor Alicia Witt, like, like, I think she's like on the bed in like the like upper parts of the of the college, and she's Rebecca Gayhart's like hairs all over the place, her mascara's running, she's just like, like perched over her. I'm like Rebecca Gayhart, man, that that sorority party in Scream Two really did a number on you, girl. Um, <laughs> and, and but it's so good, and even then. I, like when you see her in that last part where she's at another college, which she enrolls in another college, by the way, yeah, which to me made it seem like that was going to happen again. But not only that, then, then spoiler alert for part two, she makes a cameo at the end of part two and she's a nurse. Oh, right. Really? <laughs> she's a nurse who is taking care of someone important to the plot in the second one and <laughs> but she's just like yep here i am as a nurse and i'm like so you went to co- these two prestigious colleges and got a doctorate <laughs> or, a, or a degree to be a, a nurse at the very well, least i was just to say we don't know if she got it she, we know, she might not have gotten it but and <laughs> right. lord knows she could have just dressed up but like at the same time like i would have said she probably did because that is commitment that She's yeah. got <laughs> commitment. She's got power. Like more killers should learn from her. Her and her and Hannibal Lecter can have a petty off. Like, <laughs> oh it's just, like, but it's it's so good, and it just matches the camp of the entire movie. Like you said, and like she did try therapy. She says that she tried dealing with her mental health, and it didn't work. She attempted to take the steps. So it is one of my favorite lines. She's like, you need therapy. She's like, I tried that. Clearly it didn't work. 
but like and i and i do love that like her final kill of the of um natalie is supposed to be like taking her kidneys out like to sell in the black market like that's what she was going for is like her big finish was like one of the more prominent ones of like i'm gonna take i'm gonna steal your kidneys and see if i can sell it on the black market and maybe that's why she got a nursing degree like maybe she like (laughs) (laughs) gotta pay for college somehow gotta sell those things and I, I did also love, <laughs> and I mean, not not relevant to the villain, but I did love that uh, Freddy Krueger is the the urban legends professor, which I thought was amazing, yes. and like one of the red herrings of like the possible murderers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that. I just like Oof. there's something about the villains that are just like so stupidly convoluted, right? <laughs> like, um. Oh, I'm gonna blank on her name. Jill Roberts and Scream Four. Like, I want to be famous. Like, sure yeah. you do, girl. Like, sure you do. Like, <laughs> just that level of just like over the top ridiculousness, where it's like I don't fully understand like your motivation. Scream Five, even with like both the killers being like, like the you know Reddit fandom that's angry yes. about how the movies have gone off track. Like, there's just something delightfully delicious about someone's motivation is so clear to them and it makes perfect logical sense. <laughs> but like, when you say it out loud, it is absolutely ridiculous. Unhinged. <laughs> yeah. Completely. Completely. Yeah. I love to think of oh. the transportation problem, like the fact that she's everywhere. Like, I just imagine her stealing one of those campus golf carts and just being like, <laughs> to the next scene. Like, that's that's what I like envisioning. <laughs> oh. All right. So I think the way that I want to end our, well, the way we'll wrap up before we do plugging all of your socials and and whatnot is I'm going to ask you all a question, which I did not prepare you for. And that is if you ever, you can choose of the five we've talked about or any others of your, of your liking. If you had to be up against a horror movie villain, what horror movie villain do you think you could survive? Like of the five or in general? Just if you want to focus on the five, that's fine. If you want to think broader and you've got somebody that you're like, I could definitely, like, I could definitely drop kick Chucky. I like, was I could just thinking, <laughs> like, I got, str- oh, I got strong legs. I could take Chucky. I was say, everybody says that, but then, like, they do make a point of that in the Chucky TV show that he has enormous strength for like, such a tiny, because he yeah, does kick a lot of ass for. I don't actually want to go up against Chucky because, like, small, like, the dolls and, like, like puppet things and, like, basically like children adjacent it all like no mm-mm. you can hide in weird places and i don't i don't need that <laughs> all right so what do we got who's got a who's got who their their horror movie nemesis villain you think you can survive would be i i feel like i could do one and it may be cheating but um i i feel like i'd i'd be okay going up against like the cenobites from hellraiser because mm. like the the main thing with that is just don't fucking touch it. Just just leave it alone. <laughs> just leave it alone. And I have a bad memory, so I would just misplace the thing, like the lament <laughs> configuration, and find it like in my closet or something somewhere and just be like, oh yeah, this thing. And then that would be the end of it. Like I wouldn't need to bring anyone back from the dead or anything like that. Just, you know, we don't need BDSM demon guys or whatever. Like we're, we're cool. Like you can do that in your own time, <laughs> in your own dimension. Um, and I will be in mine. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that, something I read, I read about those movies, which is like the level that which like everybody who experiences like their trauma and like their villainy has consented at some point to yes. receiving. Um, yep. 
So yeah, all you gotta do is just make a firm no. And <laughs> you're good. I'm all for consent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right, other folks. I, I think I could survive an entry against a ghost face. Okay. I just feel like there, there's a lot of horror, the, a, a lot of horror knowledge comes in into into play with with surviving those things and I, oh, i'm you, not saying you think you could you think you could kirby your way out of a movie i, I feel like i i could i could kirby my way out yeah i could be a hayden Pettiter, and i could i mean or or i could be a, a randy meeks and mm. I'm, like i said i could do one entry probably yeah you could get out the first one but then the second one second one dicey. might be iffy but yeah, yeah I, feel, I feel like i could outmaneuver a, a ghost face also like i have no problem with picking up anything around me and knocking one of them around and that's that's a prerequisite <laughs> to, to, to winning against the ghost face is being able to knock one down that's yeah i mean and and like had tatum not decided to go through a cat door in her garage like she might Girl, have actually... like there was no other door on that like seriously. but also like i don't know i have a question about like physics and <laughs> how the elevator how the garage was able to like lift with her in it i don't know like it just seems like that wouldn't have worked that's right i mean i guess it didn't technically if with her but it stopped after a while right all right so matt Matt thinks he can take a ghost face Mm -hmm. and we got melissa thinks that they can take down the cinnabites and by take down just simply not open a box and not give them power (laughs) i'm good at that yeah yeah uh earl or nick i would go out my friend adijan from wishmaster because then you just have to be really careful with your wording. You don't have to defeat him. You just really, really need to be very particular with your words. Who's okay. great against them? A lawyer. A lawyer would be great <laughs> with his master. They have a full like, 70 page contract with you. Yeah. <laughs> I still, there was an episode of the X-Files that I remember watching when I was a kid that involved some sort of genie or gin or something. And it like, at the end of it, like, I forget if it was, I think it was David, David Duchovny had, like, had written down, like, what he deemed to be, like, a perfectly worded wish. But then I don't think he ever said it. I think they just kind of, like, got rid of it somehow. But I, like, that always stuck with me, that, like, that idea that you could, like, perfectly word something in a way where, like, there is no way for it to double back and hurt you. Yeah. Um. All right, he what about you, Nick? Thanks, Scully, on there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I am handling Norman Bates. I will tag that motherfucker. <laughs> Norman Bates is maybe a buck twenty-five, <laughs> soaking wet. I am putting the paws on that good man. You hear me? You know those the steps from the house. A good swift push, and it's out. It is lights out. And I'd like we to get point that- out that he thought about the manner of death. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> even, the, oh, even those steps or down in the basement where he had his mother. I mean, you know, if you want to, we could box right there. Or, you know, if you want to have a knife fight, we could do that too. But me and, it is the best of three with me and Norman uh, Bates. And I'm handing him. I love that. <laughs> All right. I feel like... I don't know. I feel like part of me, I think part of me was with Matt where I'm like in my head, I'm like, I could probably manage uh like a ghost face. But then I get down into like the I don't know. I would be the per like I would jump too easily. I'd be like, oh God, and now I'm dead. Like <laughs> popped up from behind the couch and is running. And I would get winded. Like he's a runner. <laughs> and like that's the hard, like 
he's gonna he's gonna keep chasing and i know that, that like i want to say michael myers like he's he's that slow walker he will keep popping up random places but like you just stay with your friends you don't try to kill him like you you simply do not like he i feel like he's an outlast like you just got to get to like dawn <laughs> Because Halloween nights is one night that he pops up and murders everybody. And then you That's can kind of like go about your day. Um, unless you're Jamie Lee Curtis. And then you have a whole thing. Um, or multiple multiple things, depending on. <laughs> What'd you say? I have a bone to pick with that. Okay. So Michael Myers has been chasing Jamie Lee Curtis and her activity, Activia for all these years. <laughs> you don't, you cannot tell me that Jamie Lee Curtis did something to this boy to make him do that. To If I am going after you year after year after year, you did something and you know what you did, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> you know what you did. And if, well, but it depends on the mythos that like, because Halloween admittedly is a giant mess in terms of its timelines and how everything actually mm-hmm. connects. Because like, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis was like one and two and then H2O 20 years later and she wasn't in the mix, like in between, correct Matt? Uh, correct in the in that particular mythos she right in that one she's there so like he just popped back up after 20 years decided to find her and then the 2018 reboot erases two and it's just halloween and then halloween 2018 where he'd been like locked up the entire time and then like left to go get her well no he's not after her in 2018 (laughs) she's after him yes and then then, happenfield and then yeah. the doctor brings him to and her. And the doctor brings him back. Yeah. And she's going to murder him in her in her yes. death house. I think they could be therapy. I thought that was a fun <laughs> I mean, twist therapy would be though. great. She needed therapy on all fronts. It uh, doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> it doesn't say. It doesn't say. <laughs> but Rebecca Gayhart told us therapy doesn't work. <laughs> I was going to say, Michael did therapy for like 20 years. That's the whole point of like those yeah. I feel like that's one of the most dubious connections there because, like, if you just take the first one, her only exposure to Michael Myers is going up to his front door once for yep. s- for something. I can't remember what it was. And that's it. To drop off the key. Yeah, yeah she, she, she put, the like, key. the key under the mat or something like that for the, the showing. Yeah, and, and I think she lived maybe across off. the street. <laughs> yeah, that was, he was like, how dare you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You trespassing on my property that I haven't been on in 25 years. Right, like, and how long are we gonna do this, Michael? Like, <laughs> you've been doing he's got, the same He's got time. Thing. He's been planning. He's just been standing in a box. He's yeah, chilling. Yeah, I got a job. He doesn't he ain't got no he, He's the force of nature. He's just he like, <laughs> just get a job, you bum. <laughs> now watch my doorbell ring and it's fucking my fire. <laughs> right. yeah, I'm going to battle my life over here. <laughs> I, I was going to add to Eric's point, depending on the mythos, if you're not related to him, you're also fine. Yeah. yeah like, just, stay, just like stay out of his way. <laughs> don't make friends with his family and don't be part of his family. That's <laughs> right. Like, and if you live in Haddonfield, just fucking don't? leave on Halloween. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Be like, oh, yeah. this is my vacation. <laughs> Right, like any Halloween, just go somewhere that's like densely populated, stay with friends, like be far mm-hmm. away from wherever Michael Myers last was, and you're fine. Um, all right, it's not well, like he's going to get on a plane and go yeah, to TSA anywhere. <laughs> He'd, would you imagine like he like murders his way through TSA? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Myers takes Manhattan, there you go. right? <laughs> um, Michael Myers through the Guardia. <laughs> all right, so. 
we'll we'll wrap up because I feel like we could all go on about our about horror movie villains for three or four episodes easily. <laughs> um, I know Melissa got on. They were like, "This is like my favorite thing," so yes. I could do this all day. <laughs> Um, but let's do, and we'll go alphabetical order, um, again, but if you would like to be found on the internet, where can people find you, uh, Earl? Um, yeah, so you can find me on most major social media platforms under the name Break, B-R-E-A-K-A, Bone, B-O-N-E. Um, so that includes the site we won't name for that a person, Blue Sky, Threads, which I should use at some point, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> I still have a Hive account, I think. So, oh, Hive! I remember Hive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't. It, it didn't just... quite last. Like it didn't. It didn't. It like shut down for two weeks. Then it lost steam, and then we never came I, back. Well, I mean, you, like when you shut down for security threat, it's a big issue. Why people are like, yeah, probably yeah. won't give you too much of my information. So, and then Threads. Every time I pull up my podcast Threads account and I look at it, it's just like sad. It's like the last <laughs> post was two days ago, and I'm like, I'm following yes. like. Two to three hundred people. <laughs> How is there only one post? Um. Anyway, uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? Hi. Um. So you can find me on Twitch uh, at the Final Counselor, playing horror games every so often. You can find me on uh, the site that shall not be named under <laughs> Final Counselor without the. Uh, and you can find me on Blue Sky uh, under Matt Bartlett uh, Vo with uh, a bunch of my projects that are coming up. Anything, is there anything on the horizon coming out that we should be purchasing? There, there is, or, or not even purchasing. All of the stuff is free right now. Amazing. Uh, amazing. We want my favorite price. My favorite um, price. <laughs> so uh, actually, probably by the time this releases on Friday the 13th, uh, the <gasps> demo for Pinewood Valley is coming out in which I voiced the slasher killer in that. So I actually get to be a slasher killer. Nice. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, and upcoming, the next season of Chad, a 76 Fallout story I am featured in, as well as three pieces from the upcoming uh, Frontier stories from the Starfield as well. So. I love, I love when people have like things coming up. Like, oh, I can listen to my friend be a murderer. This is nice. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't phrase uh, it that way, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How else would you phrase it, Earl? I don't understand. That's a normal thing to say out loud. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, all right, <laughs> Melissa, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, um, I'm mostly on Twitter. <laughs> um, and uh, you can find me everywhere, though, at uh, Melissa Medina VO. Um, and I'm even on Blueski. So, you know, we have options. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, Melissa Medina VO, wherever you find me, you're welcome to Google Melissa Medina, but I don't know what you're going to find. So, you know, at your own risk. <laughs> nice. Is there, do you have anything coming up that people should be looking for? I feel like I'm under NDA for like freaking everything. Mm. Um, but let's go with um, I, there's some updates to Starfield coming out. Um, that so we, but yeah, we have Starfield stuff. Um, and then uh, there's more Star Wars stuff coming out. I have Star Wars, Starfield, and then uh, Stargate is coming out soon, a video game. Uh, and oh. so, yeah, that's that's stuff that I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I always love asking people about things like, so I can say. No, I can't say that one. No, nope. I can't. Like <laughs> an unnamed thing that I'm working on. Yes. Secret I have thing. a list. I have a list. Do not talk about these things. May I also pitch something on behalf of, of Melissa real quick? Yeah. What's up? Uh, the mortuary assistant. 
also just got an update. Oh yeah, um, that's right. And for for scary season is fantastic. And that was how I was actually introduced to Melissa's work was. Oh was nice. That. So, nice. So yeah. definitely check that out. You can fight demons as me. Um and uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh Nick, where can where can we find you on the internet? Uh you can find me at Twitter. Uh <laughs> at Porter Say. I'm at Blue is it Blue Sky or Blue Ski or whatever. Blue Sky. Blue, Blue Sky, Sky. I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Porter Pizzazz over there. Um I do co-host a podcast that talks about queer geek culture from a black queer perspective called Megashine. And our most recent episode is a review of Castlevania Nocturne that is currently out. If you haven't seen it, go see it because the sisters and basically all the women consistently have held down that series since yes. episode one. Um <laughs> And I cannot wait till uh, season two. Um, yeah, that, that's where I'm going. All right. Um, and then as always, you can find The Queer XP on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Blue Sky, all at The Queer XP, because I believe in brand consistency <laughs> and nobody has stolen my username yet. <laughs> um, and then just a quick update on a couple things we've got coming up are coming down the line so let me look at my calendar um so the next actual play we have coming up after this is a game called brindlewood bay which is golden girls meets murder she wrote meets call of cthulhu <laughs> yes. um because those things go together and i'm okay. super pumped um i have on october 30th so our, our big halloween special is going to be a game called fears and fathoms it is an all drag cast. So I have a uh, drag race cast member joining us, plus two New England Ooh. Boston queens who will be joining. And I'm excited for all three of them. I have my calendars out of mix. So in between those, I've talked about it on the other previous episodes, but we're starting a series called um, Legacy Life Among the Ruins, which is a post-apocalyptic uh, tabletop RPG. Um, this, the game itself is built around the idea of having uh, controlling a family unit in the post-apocalyptic setting and the game kind of works over generations so we're going to play through an arc of that starting on the 26th is when it'll release um we'll do a couple episodes over like one a month where we'll have like a, a story arc and then once the story arc finishes we'll swap some cast around and bring in new people to play new families that are entering into this world um and then the last thing that i'll plug is because on social media i said if we get to certain numbers on our social media accounts that we would do the most absurd thing and we're going to play the jellical chance which is a cats inspired <laughs> tabletop <laughs> rpg uh where we will all be vying for whomever is the elder cat to choose us for the death cult <laughs> so make sure you keep listening sharing please subscribe like things rate things um i, I should be plugging um good pods which is a uh, like Goodreads equivalent for podcasts where you can like connect with your friends and you can give us five stars for our podcast because we're on there too. Um, but yeah, so once again, thank you everybody for joining. Thank you for chatting about all of our favorite horror villains um, or villains that just are the most absurd and campy and wonderful and delicious. <laughs> uh, but we will see you all, see everyone next week and have a good rest of your day. Bye.